sharing God's good word together. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We're so glad that you're here. We hope that you'll join us, not just for this day, but um, over the next four weeks, we're starting a new sermon series called Unafraid. Um, Next week, we're going to look at fear failure, one of the the top fears of our young people today. Uh, I've been a pastor for more than 20 years now, and now more than any other time in my entire ministry, um, what I see online and what I see in congregations are that folks are afraid, more afraid than I've ever seen our country. More than 57 million Americans are debilitated by fear and anxiety. That's one in six. One in six Americans um, are, are really struggling with this fear and anxiety. And on Easter morning, on the greatest day the earth has ever known, where God has come to earth and death could not still him, he is alive and well, and the disciples and the followers are joyful? No. Terrified. Afraid. Afraid. And if you're here today and you have fear in your life, you have anxiety in your life, and and you battle that like so many do, I want to give you hope. Give you hope. And we're going to dive into this over the next four weeks. And so we're going to be praying for you. I ask that you would pray for me this morning as we begin our journey together to live, say it with me, unafraid. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. And because of this morning, all the other mornings, we can live unafraid. We ask now that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed over and through us, that you would help us receive with joy, truly, the resurrection in our life, not just then, but today and every day. Let us again be Easter people full of resurrection power and life that we might live unafraid. And all who agree say, amen, amen. In his book, The Science of Fear, Daniel Gardner writes that we are the healthiest, wealthiest, and longest-lived people in history, and we are increasingly afraid. This is one of the great paradoxes of our time. Can you imagine? The healthiest, wealthiest, longest-lived people in history, and more and more afraid. More and more afraid. Well, we're not alone. This has been going on for some time. On Easter morning, if you have your sermon notes, if those are helpful to you, I invite you to take those out. Jesus is alive and well and out on the move, and the women were what? Say it with me. Terrified. Terrified. Have you ever had one of those days? It should be like a red-letter day, just a wonderful day, and you are terrified. 
As, as I was getting married and I was standing there and I looked at my bride, I saw her turn to her dad like, should I do this? I was great. She was terrified. Many of you know why, but it's fine, right? The, the thing is, we can quickly forget the good promises of God. We can quickly forget the good promises of God. And so when the women go to the tomb, the angels remind them of what Jesus had said all along. They say, remember how he told you, meaning Jesus. Remember that Jesus told you while he was still in Galilee, well before he was crucified, well before he even got to Jerusalem, that the Son of Man, a name he used for himself, must be handed over to sinners and be crucified. And on the third day, rise again. Rise again. And so we are called, friends, to remember Jesus' words and tell all the rest. We are to remember Jesus' words and tell all the rest. But it's hard to remember things when we're afraid. Last night, Pastor Andy told a story that I thought was too good not to share. I wanted to steal it and use it as my own, but it's not my story. So, Andy, will you come tell your story? That Sometimes we are called to remember things and we just forget. keep talking okay so um <laughs> about a about a month ago uh, melissa and i had uh, had gone to bed and we had finally rested after putting down the the kids to sleep we have a five-year-old and a two-year-old and uh it was about 10 30 11 o'clock and we were laying there just dozing off to sleep and melissa taps me on uh, you know shakes me in bed she said is the garage door opening and 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 i said what no no it's you know it's just the wind you know just 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 go to sleep and and uh, she said, no, I, I think that was the garage. I said, no, no, it wasn't. And then all of a sudden we heard the creak of, of the door uh, between our, our garage and our house. And, and we started to hear footsteps in the house. And I, and I leapt out of bed and that fear kind of seized me, you know, like my, my mind just starts to race and, and all, you know, the blood flows from, from my hand. My hands get really cold and it flows into my body and, and, I'm, and I'm terrified. And in that moment, I had forgotten a conversation that I had with my mom about two weeks ago when she had said that she, was, she and her husband were going to come stay at our house after a concert that night completely left my mind. And so I jump out of bed and, and I, and I stand in the hallway and now I have, you know, like a couple of choices, right? Like, like, what am I going to do? I got to, you know, protect the house. And so, uh, you know, I could either just like run out and attack them or, or I can try to scare them away, you know? And so what I did is I stood in my doorway and I, and I just like yelled out in the deepest voice I could and was just like, hello, like, <laughs> like they were just going to run in fear when they heard that. <laughs> And, 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 you know, and my mom realizing that that was not my natural voice, you know, was like, oh, you know, it's just us, you know, we're, we're just here to, to stay the night. And uh, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so glad it's you. And, and I, and I walked out there and I said, I thought somebody was breaking into our house, you know, and, and I didn't know what we were going to do. And she said, well, you know, you really should have something to protect your house with, you know, and maybe like a gun or something. I said, mom, if I had a gun, you'd be dead. <laughs> like there are people who should have those things. I am not one of those people. And in that moment, fear had completely seized me. I had completely forgotten all the conversations that I had with my mom. Very good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It happens, doesn't it? We get afraid. We forget. Uh, I was a lifeguard. And so oftentimes when a new guard would come and something would happen, you would wonder, are they going to remember their training? Now, I always wanted to work with people who had been a guard for a long time. 
Because when things happen, they just go. It's, you know, it's just automatic response. You always wonder, will you actually remember your training and those sorts of things? The Gospels say that then they remembered his words. Oh, it came to mind. And returning from the tomb, they told this to the eleven and to all the rest. To all the rest. You see, there are a lot more people following Jesus than, than the Bible even tells about. There's, there's the disciples, but there's also all the rest. And that's our job. That we're going to, of course, tell people about Jesus that we love, our family and friends. But there's a whole bunch of other people that need to know this story as well. But then I have to ask myself the question, maybe you're asking, well, if this is the women and they're terrified, where are the disciples? They're, they're not at the cross. They're not at the tomb. Where are they? Where are these 11 disciples? Where are these great men of God? They're hiding. They're locked away. The scripture says when it was evening, right? It's not even Easter morning. This is that night. It's Easter night and they're still hiding out. They are paralyzed by their fear. The first day of the week on Easter morning, on on Easter evening now, morning and afternoon have passed. The doors of the house where the disciples had met were what? Locked. Andy, you should lock your house. Right? And, and that's, that's what the disciples thought. Well, if I could just be secure enough, if I would just lock ourselves in here for fear of the Jews. Fear had them locked away. Now, now look at the interesting contrast here. Jesus is up and out of the grave. And the disciples had created their own. That they had locked themselves away. Even though they could be very much alive. And so that evening, the doors were, say it with me, locked for fear of the Jews. Fear of the Jews. And, and, and to be fair, over time, um, every single one of those 11 are going to either be killed uh, or imprisoned for their faith in Jesus. It's not that they didn't have anything to fear, but they had a life to live in the midst of real danger. And it's in the midst of this fear and this lockdown and this paralysis that Jesus appears to them and says, peace be with you. And that's what he comes to you. You don't have to have your life all together. You can be afraid and Jesus will appear to you and say, peace be with you. I hope you get that sense this morning that Jesus is here and he's offering you peace and love and joy. And and he says it again. Jesus came and stood among them and he says, peace be with you. And, And Jesus comes in response to their fear. Jesus isn't afraid. He's conquered death itself. And he comes to them. And after he had said this, they they were unbelieving. They thought maybe he's a ghost. He says, no, no, no. Here's my hands. Here's my side. Later, he'll do this again with Thomas. And the disciples rejoiced. They got it. They remembered. They're like, oh, this really is Jesus. This really is him. He really is alive. And they rejoiced. But notice that for so many of us, I think it's true for all of us, when we find out that Jesus is alive or Jesus is real or we have that first experience with God, Sometimes we can forget. And so isn't it great that we have a God that repeats himself? Day after day, Jesus comes to you and says, I love you. Peace be with you. Bless you. But notice this too. Jesus repeats himself. He blesses them. And then what does he do? He sends them. He sends them out. He doesn't put them in a two-year training program. He blesses them, breathes the Holy Spirit on them, and sends them out. So Jesus says again to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. So I what? Send you. Go on. You don't have to be afraid anymore. I'm alive and you can be alive as well. So Jesus empowers them by giving them the Holy Spirit. We also are empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thus our name, the book of Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us to go out into the world unafraid. So when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, 
If you had read the, all the Old Testament, you would remember that this is the same scenario, the same sort of uh, vision that God does when he creates Adam, the very first man. He takes the dust out of the ground, the, the red clay, the Adamah in Hebrew, and he breathes into it. And there's the first man. Humanity has begun. And Jesus is doing the same thing. He's taking these disciples who are dead inside, who are afraid, who are locked down, who are in a grave of their own making, and he lifts them up and he goes, and he breathes in them the Holy Spirit that they might live again as Jesus is alive again. So now, with peace and with power and new creation, no longer uh, an old creation, but a new creation with the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples go, how? Unafraid. So much so that... Um, they say now that even if the shadow of St. Peter would fall on somebody, they could be healed and they would go walking and leaping and praising God. That's what the New Testament says. The book of Acts is full of the acts of the Holy Spirit led out by the apostles where people's lives are changed. But friends, then and now, there is the real problem of fear. The real problem of fear. Um, You don't have to be a Christian to know this. This has been around for a long time. Uh, There are different iterations of it. We'll use it like this today. Faults, read these with me if you know them, events appearing, maybe, appearing real. False events appearing real. That's an acronym for fear. Uh, some people say false evidence appearing real. And, and what's interesting is we think that we know stuff because we've experienced stuff. So if you live in Oklahoma, uh, when it comes to natural disasters, what are, what's most likely to kill you? No, it's not Tornadoes. Everybody says tornadoes. You cannot be further from the truth. It's not tornadoes. Everybody says tornadoes. You know why you think it's tornadoes? Because they're super destructive. And when they happen, there's great video. According to the weather experts, you're much more likely to die of heat this summer. Aren't you? You go out and mow your lawn. That's the end of you. You know? The grass is tall. I'm going to get it. No, you're not. You're going to die. Get a lawn service. So... The guys are loving me today, right? You're much more likely to die of heat or floods. I mean, six inches of water is much more likely to kill you. Don't drive in water. Seriously. Anybody, right? Right? You know this. Floods are much more likely to kill you than a tornado. But we think tornado, right? Right? So, I mean, memorize this. Google it. Real, real stuff. So, so obviously, be safe in tornado season. I'm not being silly. But seriously, don't, don't lose your life over it. Don't lose your life over it. When it has to come to global deaths uh, and natural disasters, uh, you can see that the, the red line is people who died from them, and it's been dropping dramatically over the last um, 100 years or so. Almost nobody dies from natural disasters anymore, comparatively, yet the number of them has risen dramatically. So yes, we have a lot more of them, but for the most of us, it doesn't really, you know, bother us that much. It doesn't, it doesn't affect our lives in, in that way. A lot of people aren't dying from them. However, here's the problem. We have this little thing in our head called an amygdala, which absolutely floods your body with adrenaline and cortisol. And so used to, if you were a cave person, Right, The woolly mammoth or a saber-toothed tiger comes at you and all the blood goes to your chest and your hind parts so you can get out of there and save your life. Now, you get on your smartphone and it's like tsunami in that part of the world and your amygdala goes, that's terrible, run. And you go, nope, I'm in my lazy boy. And then you have high blood pressure and anxiety and stomach aches and you start to lose your life. You're not really in danger 
But your amygdala doesn't know that. And so your anxiety rises because we actually do have more disasters, but they're less likely to hurt you. But your amygdala doesn't know that. So over and over again, we keep feeding ourselves with cortisol, which will kill you. That will kill you. Heart disease will kill you. Much more likely than a tornado. And you know why many people live in the suburbs? You know why a lot of people choose Edmond, like us? Because we're afraid of crime. And, but if, if you look at the actual crime statistics, um, we're more afraid of crime, and yet we have much less of it. It's just we know about it more. It, it comes across the news cycle all the time. Uh, and Twitter, uh, on your Facebook, um, you know, all, all these things, right? And so even though crime has been going down, our fear of it has been going up. Isn't that interesting? You see, fear is a powerful and universal emotion designed to help us. It's God's good gift for us. And, and if you have something that, you know, feels wrong, pay attention to it. I mean, pay attention to it. Uh, that's it saved a lot of people's lives. You've heard people say, well, I just kind of had this sixth sense or I just had this knowing or that just seemed a little off. Yes, pay attention to that, but don't lose your life to it. And that's, that's the hard part. And we're going to talk about how to overcome that here in just a second. So humans have this unique capacity to plan for what might happen. Not only does our amygdala give us the opportunity to get out of there for fight or flight, we are uniquely designed to be able to think about the future of what might happen. And this is a really great thing most of the time, unless it gets out of control. And and that can happen. It happens to me. Uh, If you're a leader of a large organization or really any organization, uh, you can kind of go through this process. Um, it, it's, I don't know if this is a real word or not, but I call it catastrophizing. Then any of you all catastrophize, you know, uh, your child is five minutes late of their curfew and they're dead in a ditch, right? I mean, that's what you think. I, I don't know why ditches are so much worse than any other kind of death, but that's what we say. You know, you're dead in a ditch. And so, um, just a week ago, we had a wonderful extravaganza. I mean, it was beautiful. The weatherman said it was going to be terrible, um, and it was sunny. It, it was great. We had the Easter bunny. I mean, it was amazing. Everybody was having a great time. Um, we had inflatables, and there I am with uh, Andy and Melissa's little boy um, doing the inflatables. It was so much fun. I was having a great time on the outside. On the inside, something else is going on inside of me, right? I'm looking around, and there are these beautiful little kids on their Easter egg hunts, and, and they're picking up their eggs, and, and they're having a great time. Maybe some of you recognize your own children there just a great awesome time having a wonderful deal now this is all going on publicly but behind the scenes for those of you who've been on my staff or currently on my staff this is not your sermon notes this is secret information we have three rules for the staff before every major event before easter before hunts before trunk or treat uh, before christmas eve the first rule is if you know it say it with me no kids in the parking lot Man, they're small and quick, and we have big SUVs, and the likelihood of them getting run over is high. So when you see me, and I'm like, hey, have a nice day. Where am I? I'm in the parking lot. And I'm saying, hey, have a nice day on the outside. But inside, I'm like, you better not run over a kid. You better slow it down, buddy. We got kids around here. You better leave the parking spots for the young moms with the 18 children at the front. If you're single, get in the back. You know, you got kids all over this place. We got like 500 kids, and they're small and fast. I'm watching you. I'm in the parking lot. You thought, oh, he's so nice in the parking lot. No, I'm in the parking lot. (laughs) Everybody in my staff knows no kids in the, say it with me, parking lot. The second rule is, if you know it, say it with me, no kids in the pond. Now, I know what a lot of you are saying. Like, you all have a pond? No, we don't. (laughs) No, 
Never seen it. You won't see it. We don't have one. But if there were a pond, no kids in there. So you, we have people parked out on the slab of the basketball court like, you kids, that way. No kids in the parking lot. No kids in the pond. That's my mantra. As long as I'm pastor here, I got two things that make me a winner as a pastor. No kids in the parking lot and no kids in the pond. And if we can do that, I'm happy. And, and if you get around to it, have some fun, share Jesus. But, but nobody gets the three if you don't get the first two. Right? I mean, I'm out of my mind on days like today. Right? We got people all in the parking lot. Hopefully we don't have anybody in the pond, if we had one. So, now this is interesting to me. We, we are studying this book uh, by Adam Hamilton called Unafraid. Uh, he's, he's our uh, sort of a flagship church up in Kansas City in Leewood, Kansas. Now, it's interesting. I love, I love Adam's work because it mirrors us so much. The folks in Leewood are not so much unlike us folks in Edmond. It's very similar in terms of demographics and people who come, all that. Um, and and he, he surveyed more than 2,000, about 2,400 people of his congregation. These are affluent folks in Leewood, Kansas. You would think that they had nothing to be afraid of at all. Yet, when he surveyed his own congregation, United Methodist folks like us just up the road, he said that 80% of congregants said that they lived with moderate or significant levels of fear. These are some of the most affluent, easygoing folks you would think in the entire country in middle America. Right? They're not Chicago, urban, gang, gang violence, none of that. But they're 8 out of 10. Does that seem high to you? Or you're like, nope, that's us. Right? If I were to survey you, what do you, what do you think? Is it higher or lower? Same? I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? 80%, that's a lot of folks living in fear. Now, you might say, well, what is there to fear, really? Well, the greatest fear of those under age 50 is the fear of failure. They don't know if they're going to make it. They don't know if they're going to be able to do as well as their parents did. And they look around, they're like, man, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. And for those of us my age, 50 or, or older, our, we're like, well, if we haven't made it now, we're probably not making it. We're going to chill. Um, our greatest fear is the direction of our country we look at the country like whoo we haven't seen anything like this before this is new this makes me nervous makes me nervous where we are as a country right that, that that's that's what they set up in leewood i'm sure we're all fine um but there's this there's this sense of like something's off Think, things are shifting on us and, and we become afraid things out of our control now you know who's not concerned with the direction of our country? You know who's not concerned about their retirement? You know who's not concerned about their 401k? This guy. My dog, Peanut. He doesn't care. He gets a dog treat. He gets to go out once or twice a day. He's happy. He's good. He's good. Oh, isn't he cute? Oh, that's Peanut. He's so cute, our dog groomer took that photo. We didn't even take it. He's awesome. But yeah, I mean, dogs don't care. This whole fear thing. It's unique to us, isn't it? This is something that's uniquely ours. So, what do we know? Fear can make us, say it with me, forget what we know to do. And so, 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had said this. Don't fear, I'm with you, God says. Don't be afraid. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. And mortals still today, we're afraid. We're afraid. Will God really show up? Is God there? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And the prophet says, no, no. God's with you. Remember. Remember. Remember, and so because we need to remember, we need to practice our faith and our skills daily. We don't have to be afraid, but partly why we come to Easter, partly why we worship each week every seven days is to remember who God is. And he repeats himself, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. 
We need to hear that regularly. Secondly, then, fear tries to keep us safe, but can also keep us what? Stuck. Like the disciples, we can just get stuck. We can get stuck. When I was a little boy, I used to love when the doorbell rang. It meant my grandfolks were there uh, with some Dunkin' Donuts, or it meant a friend had come over to play. We were going to play some basketball. We were going to go bike riding. I mean, I loved it when the doorbell rang. How about you? How about you? Now, when the doorbell rings, you know what I do? I'm like, Chantel? Can they see us? Like, I'm not getting that. Like, are they still there? Shh, turn off the TV. The dog starts barking. I'm like, well, they know we have a dog at least, you know. This company, Ring, was bought very recently for $1.1 billion. Sold to Amazon for a video doorbell. And it allows you to tell those people on your porch to go away from your phone. You don't even have to answer the door. You just look on your phone and you're like, go away. I don't know, go away, right? You can just do this. Friends, it's a $1.1 billion fear industry. In the New York Times article that, that wrote about um, Amazon's acquisition of Ring, uh, James McQuivy, an analyst for a forest research company, said that he believed that Amazon had bought Ring so it could add more intelligent capabilities to its doorbells and cameras, like the ability to use software to recognize faces at the front door. Wouldn't that be cool? You're like, oh, it automatically knows who it is. Now, he says this, and I thought this was really telling. He says, I think it's about going to the next level and having your Alexa. Y'all know who Alexa is, right? Right? Like your Google dot or whatever that is. He says, having your Alexa say this, James, your fifth grader, just walked in, and I locked the door behind him. He said, that's where technologies have to go. Now, that's reading the culture. The culture is so afraid that we're going to spend $1.1 billion to acquire a video phone that can lock your door behind your fifth grader, and you never even have to see anyone. It's all on your phone. Fear sells, people. Fear is more than a billion-dollar industry, and the world knows it. And if they can make you more afraid so you can buy their stuff, they're going to do it. And Jesus says, you can be what? Unafraid. It's countercultural, friends. And this is why we gather in community, so we can keep moving, so we can be unstuck. So seriously, next year you can answer your door. You really can. You see, when fear controls us, it's often because we've catastrophized. We figure that the person at the door is trying to sell us something. Or they need our money. Or they're going to give us a dog. Now, to be fair, it's always my dog. He's run away and they're bringing him back. But still, they're giving me a dog. So we can overcome this because we can plan, we can make a plan, we can act, we can worship, and we can serve. And these actions keep us from getting stuck and paralyzed and in graves of our own making. So faith by itself, if it has no works, is what? It's dead. That's what the brother of Jesus says. He says, we've got to work this stuff out. We've got to move. We've got to act. And so how do we overcome these fears? Well, uh, if, if fear is an acronym, we can also make another an acronym. We're going to face our fears with what? faith. We can remember what Jesus says. Now, Paul, when he writes to the early church in Corinth, he says it like this, for I handed on to you as of first importance, the number one thing, what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with what? The scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the, say what? Scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter, Cephas, same name, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Friends, Easter was not a one-day event. 
Jesus was alive and well for 40 days, walked the earth. More than 500 people see him at one time. This isn't one or two eyewitness accounts. This is hundreds of people seeing Jesus over a long period of time, and then they wait for the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit sends Christians that still gather today. More than 2 billion of us, by the way. So we can, number one, face our fears with faith in light of the Scriptures. Secondly, examine your assumptions in light of the facts. Now, not just the scriptural facts, but the real facts. You know, when, when somebody says, hey, get, get in your Frady hole about the tornadoes, you can say to them, well, hold on a minute. That's in Arkansas. I mean, seriously. That's in Arkansas. They don't normally track backwards, you know, to us. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for this August because I'm not mowing anymore. My pastor says I don't have to. <laughs> Heat is dangerous, right? Know the facts. Know the facts. Okay. Then thirdly, attack your anxieties with what? Action. All right. As a lifeguard, the thing that that was the worst thing that happened to me was cleaning the bathrooms. But we won't talk about that. The second worst thing that happened to me as a public lifeguard was when about a six-year-old went up to the high dive for the first time, and the line behind them. Oh my gosh! Go already! Go, go, go! The only way you get to jump off the high dive is by jumping off the high dive. And until you do it the first time, you don't know that you can do it. And the same way with whatever your fear is, uh, it's called exposure therapy. You got to step into it. You actually have to go. Now, if you can't swim, don't jump off the high dive. But if you're a good swimmer, have some fun. Have a good time. So face your fears with faith. Examine your assumptions in light of the facts. Attack your anxieties with action. And finally, do what? Release your cares to God. Really pray. Release those to God. And it's amazing what happens when you allow yourself to go to God. So Paul says it this way in Corinthians. He says, let me tell you something wonderful. Really, it's a mystery. I'll probably never fully understand it, he says. We're not all going to die. Uh, He's writing because they're expecting Jesus to come back any day. We're all going to be changed, though. You hear a blast, end all blast from a trumpet, and in the time you look up in a blink of an eye, it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves, just like Jesus, beyond the reach of death. Never to die again. Isn't that great news? If you're in Jesus, you never die again. You die only once. And at that same moment, and in the same way, we'll all be changed. We all get new bodies. And in the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable, taken off the shelves, replaced by imperishable. The mortal replaced by immortal. Then the saying will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That's Easter. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We read this at every funeral. Because we are up and out, friends. God is on the move in you. But now, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, they're gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. With all this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, unafraid, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort, for he is with you. I love the way Dorothy Bernard puts it. She says, courage is fear that has said its prayers. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the right ordering of fear. God is first. We do what God calls us to do and everything else falls into place because he is risen and you say he is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are risen and risen indeed. And because of that, we can live unafraid. We can move unafraid. We can do what you call us to do in your strength and by your power and by your grace. And we thank you that you have taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.